You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin. And me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved and be happy. Hello, you have tuned in to our latest Happiness Hub podcast with me, Keds, and my co-host. It's me, Liz. <laughs> Hello, Liz. Hello. How are you, Edwin? I'm doing all right. What's going on this week with us then? Well, Ooh. what is going on? We've had a bit of rain, a bit of wind, a bit of sun, just been a bit mixed <laughs> outside. Oh, I tell you what I have been doing. I have started Couch to 5K with my nephew, Ooh. Ben. We've started at week three, although Laura, our personal coach, keeps saying, now, because you've been doing this since week one, you'll be able to do this by now. And we're like, yeah, Laura, we did. <laughs> but no, we decided that we were actually already able to run three minutes quite okay. So we're now up to five minutes running and 90 seconds walking. And um, yeah, we're really enjoying it. We were meant to go out today, but it turns out my nephew has inherited his auntie's fair weather running um, ethos. Okay, yeah. And mm-hmm. didn't want to get blown over in the wind. So we will go out for our sixth run together tomorrow oh that's really nice that you're doing it together with uh, you know really is it is it ben that? that you're doing it with ben or? yeah 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 i was really surprised he's well up for it and he's good he slowed his pace down because he was kind of like charging ahead of me but he slowed his pace down and we chat the whole way around half an hour have a good old chin wag and it's lovely that and my other big commitment three thousand sit-ups in march oh, how are you getting on with that i saw you doing them last night when we were on our zoom meeting with joe yeah that's your only exercise bike yeah and, and then you're off doing your sit-ups on that like, blooming neck i didn't sign up for a virtual gym session i know i know i do like to kind of multitask and um, i, I find <laughs> being on certain zoom calls where you don't have to be looking at the computer or whatever i think doing some exercise is actually quite a good idea so yeah i was really pleased with myself because on the 9th of march we've got to do three thousand in march So my target was to get to the 9th of March and hit that first thousand to know that I'm 100 ahead of myself. And I hit that target. And I don't know if we mentioned it last week, but I'm doing it in aid of the Royal Marsden charity. I think there's two or three cancer hospitals down in London where my lovely friend Anya, who passed away in September last year, was being treated. So Anya's got a big family in Ireland. A couple of them are in London and her husband's in London. So we've all decided to put together a team Anya and we're all doing sit up so I think there's actually about eight or nine of us all together doing this fundraising and we've raised so far getting close now to 1600 pounds which I'm really that's amazing because like your target was like 500 or something when my first target was 500 yeah yeah. so that's literally smashed that almost overnight the night I launched the fundraising page we'd got to that it helped that Anya's twin sister is in New York so they were awake and so loads of New Yorkers were donating which was lovely so by the time I woke up it was like my job is done. Got to do the bloody sit-ups now. And then I made the mistake of saying, right, every time we get to a hundred pound threshold, I'll go live and do my sit-ups live. Well, of course, it's like, oh, that's like six lives I've got to do. I can't cope with that. So every now and then I pop a little recording on and do my sit-ups and put them on Facebook. So very good. Oh, that's brilliant. What's the um page if people wanted to donate to that? On Facebook, our page is called Team Onya. 3,000 sit-ups for the Royal Marsden. But if people go onto the Happiness Hub group, I'll share it on there. and people I'll put it in the show notes as well. Why not? Bit yeah, great. That'd be cool. So yeah, what exercise have you done this week? Went out for a run this morning. Good. 
I have to say that I have been really shocking with my exercise recently, just not been making time for it. I've been out for a few long walks when the weather's been great and I haven't done my yoga for ages, but I went out for a run this morning and I went out the weekend. So that's been good. You were doing your yoga every day. What's happened? Just one of those things, just got out of the habit of it. I know. <laughs> get my bum out of bed in the morning, you see, to do it before I start work. But I, I normally kind of, I'm working in the spare room, so I kind of get up, go to the loo, and then come and sit in. Yes. That's it. Before I know it, it's, what, six, seven, nearly seven o'clock now. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But for the exercise point of view, I'm quite happy. Happy, 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 happy that links us Ooh, on, doesn't it? Yes. Yes, let's tell our lovely listeners about a bit, bit of an update on happy, happy. Well, we've got a launch date, haven't we? Yep. After Easter. So make sure everybody's eating all their Easter eggs and things and they're ready to get on the um, Happiness Hub. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Hub. The launch date is going to be Sunday, the 11th of April, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So what we'd like people to do, if they'd like to join Happy Happy, this is a this is a pilot that we've put together thanks to funding from the Crime Commissioner funding for Nantwich. It's a Nantwich focus group and we're looking at 20 people to join us for an eight-week happiness app that's been put together and delivered by uh, you and Ben Mm -hmm. and myself and a few other guest speakers. Yeah, I've got to meet Janie because she sent me a massive questionnaire. She's doing her next sort of nutrition kind of course and she needs subjects pretty much like what we did with Joe. So she sent me this questionnaire to fill out. Oh my God, I was a bit nervous about putting the post and sending it back to her because it asks you all sorts of things about, you know... Yeah, I won't go into it on here, all sorts of things. Anyway, she's received it now, but she'll come on and talk a little bit about nutrition. She said she'd love to. And right. I know we've talked about it before, but like motivational quotes and things and wisdom Wednesdays. So there's lots of things that's going to be involved in that. So we'll put a link also in our show notes about how you can sign up for that. There will be limited places and we are asking people as well because we want some feedback because this is a pilot yeah. to make a donation of £25. So that £25 will go back to you if you complete the whole eight-week wellness course and give us some feedback. But if you don't complete it and you drop off somewhere and as, as it happens, it's going to go to a charity of our choice. So how are we going to choose a charity, Liz? Well, Keds, we have interviewed loads of great charities on this Happiness Hub podcast. So we are going to put all the charity names into a pot and then we are going to draw one lucky charity out. So if a few of you don't make it to the end, it's basically we're bribing you to see it through and give us some helpful feedback. I could have said, give us some good feedback, but some helpful <laughs> feedback and some honest feedback on your experience of taking part in the Happy Appy app eight weeks. Yeah. And we're going to be really kind. And if you need to miss one week, we'll let you off oh, yeah. one week. have a holiday if you, if yeah. you really need to. I mean, yeah. but hopefully you'll love it so much that you won't want to. <laughs> So yeah, I'll link in the the show notes if you'd like to sign up for that. And also, if you're not already, please do join us on Facebook. Just search The Happiness Hub. We've got a closed Facebook group where we post daily motivational quotes and links to other places and tools and stuff that you can utilise. So please come and join us on there and we'll keep you updated with when it's ready to go live. So exciting. Excellent. Right. Brilliant stuff. Let's introduce our guest. we have Claire Chilvers joining us from a mental health charity called Mental Health Research UK. So Claire, very nice to have you with us in our virtual studio today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. And thank you so much for inviting me. You are very welcome. Where are you joining us from today? I live in Cheltenham. Ooh, and what's the weather been like there today? Because we've had all sorts of wind. and uh, Very changeable. Yeah. <laughs> Quite wet. <laughs> Quite wet. 
I went out for a walk with a friend, got wet, then got dry. Then we had a photo <laughs> under a rainbow and came back really quite hot and sweaty. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> like that. Right out. Yes. <laughs> I can see the sun streaming through your window behind you there, Liz, today. Yeah, it's nice. Lovely and sunny there. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Claire, how you came about setting up the charity and where did the journey all start? Well, it's a bit of a long story, but I was a cancer scientist. So I worked for quite a long time at the Royal Marsden in the Institute of Cancer Research, which is part of London University, doing research into causes of cancer. Then I, I moved to Nottingham to be Professor of Epidemiology at the university there. And after I'd been there about 10 years, I thought I really needed a change from academia. So I joined the civil service, the Department of Health, and I had a, a dual role. One was being director of research and development in Trent region, which was one of the health regions that existed then. But my national role was to take on one of the disease portfolios. Now I'd hoped that I might be asked to do the cancer portfolio because obviously that was where my background was. I, that was where my, all my contacts were, but they'd given that to somebody else. So they said to me, well, would you like to take on mental health research as your portfolio? So I sort of gulped and thought, well, okay, I'll give it a go. So my total research experience in mental health was at Nottingham, I had designed a clinical trial of counselling compared to antidepressant medication for people who had mild to moderate depression. So I designed that trial and analysed it and, and all the rest of it. So that was the sum of my experience. And one of the things that I had to do very early on was to find funding to do a lot of research. I think it was, my memory serves me rightly, I think it was nine million pounds they needed for research into mental illness because it was such an under-researched area. Mm -hmm. And naively, I assumed that there was an equivalent of Cancer Research UK, which had funded much of my research, which funded mental health research. So off I went full of confidence to find there was no such thing. How long ago mm. was that? This would have been in 1999. Mm. Yeah. Not that long ago, because I know that, you know, mental health research and looking into this, I mean, there's still lots of things going on and, you know, my charity is, is, is a good one. Mental Health Foundation is still doing, and obviously the effects yes. of COVID on people's mental health is another complete area that they'll be starting to do research. Yes. And it always surprises me when you talk to people about research done on mental health or chronic conditions and things like that, how little there is out there still about it. Yeah. Even then, there were a lot of charities supporting services for people who were having mental distress and mind, mental health foundation, I mean, lots of them, Samaritans doing great work. But it was just that research was the one that was just completely missing. Yeah. So I decided then that when I had a bit more time, when I retired from the civil service, that... I would set up a mental health research charity. Right, okay. Can you remember from that first clinical trial that you talked about there between the effects of counselling and antidepressants, what the results were? Can you remember that first? That well, first my memory is, is that there was no difference, that they were equally effective. 
is my memory of that trial. I mean, I haven't looked at the research paper for a long time, but <laughs> yeah, I think they were equally effective. Yeah. And it was interesting doing it. I'm sure it was, yeah. In terms of the research that you do now with Mental mm. Health Research UK, what is the particular areas that you're focusing on that need more research than others? One of the other co-founders, there were three of us who founded it. I was introduced to two lawyers, two barristers, who were also interested in doing the same thing. And a mutual acquaintance introduced us. And so we decided to join forces. And one of them had a family member who had schizophrenia. So schizophrenia has always been one of the things that we have made a focus. So what we've done over the years, we decided early on that because it was so difficult to raise money, there was very little public interest in mental health research. Mm -hmm. It was very difficult to begin with. I mean, there were so many times when we almost gave up because it just seemed an impossible mountain to climb. That what would be affordable, and it was a gap, was to fund PhD studentships because they cost £100,000 for each scholarship. Gosh. But even, I mean, even that's quite a lot of money. If yeah. we were doing research grants, we'd be into £500,000 plus. So that seemed more like a ballpark that we could begin to approach. So we made that decision that that's what we would do. And our first scholarship, we raised half the amount of money needed and Nottingham University put up the other half, so they matched the funding that we raised. Mm -hmm. And there have just been some wonderful people who have supported us. That funding that we raised for that came from two sources. One was that I knew the High Sheriff of Nottinghamshire because she was a, a psychotherapist. So I got to know her and she said, well, why don't I give a dinner? A charity dinner for you and so a lot of the money for that first scholarship came from that charity dinner and we were also I just had a sort of round this random call from a vet and she said that one of her great friends had terribly sadly taken his own life he was also a vet they'd been at vet school together he was in his I think late 30s early 40s maybe and she was going to do a fundraiser in his memory which was a walk in Shropshire along Long Mind. I don't know whether you know it. It's a very oh, challenging. Yeah, yeah lovely. Yeah, yeah. Of that, yeah, yeah, beautiful, beautiful. And that walk raised 16,000. Gosh. I mean, it was the most wonderful occasion. It was very, very sad, but also very inspiring. Mm. And so many people supported it and came and walked and got sponsorship. So with those sort of two pots of early money, that was our first scholarship that we funded, which was at Nottingham University. When was this? We registered as a charity in 2008. Right. And I think that, I'm just looking it up, but I think that that first scholarship was awarded in 2014. Okay, brilliant. That took us, I mean, this is how long it takes to get going on something like this. Yeah. So no, I tell a lie, it was 2011. So that was three years. 2011 was our first one. And that scholarship was named after Mark Robinson, who was the vet who had died. Wow. So we called that the Mark Robinson Scholarship. Mm -hmm. And the research student, Bethan, 
was really good. And it was a very interesting project, an online intervention for depression for use by university students. So she did a lot of background work on that in her PhD. So it was a really good start for us. So we started just giving one scholarship a year. In 2012, we were able to fund a whole scholarship. And then gradually, the amount of funding that we managed to get increased. And then a big thing for us was we were approached in 2014 by the Schizophrenia Research Fund, which was another charity which had been fairly dormant for some time. And they asked whether they could link with us. So they brought us a pot of money and invested, which was fantastic. And then we were able to use that money as well. And they had a particular interest in schizophrenia and a couple of their trustees came and became joint trustees over the two charities. So we were, we were then linked. Mm. That was a big step forward. Do you think of the research projects and go and source the PhD students or do you get students to come and submit bids or ideas to you? We decide each year what the topics are going to be. We've got four academic trustees who are very knowledgeable about the whole field of mental health research and make recommendations to the board of trustees about what we're going to fund each year. So every year we do one scholarship, which is to do with schizophrenia. And that's named after John Grace QC, who was one of our founding trustees, who very sadly died from a brain tumour. So we name that annual scholarship after him. And that's always about schizophrenia. And then we choose other topics. So recently, I think we funded six in all about children and young people's mental health. Right. Because that is even more under research than all the yeah. rest. Yeah. So we decided that we would give that a big focus over the last few years. So the research project is, is created and developed and the student goes through the process. Once that research project is finished, what happens then? Has it been able to steer mental health support and funding? The whole process of science is about incremental acquisition of knowledge. And so one PhD student is not going to do something that's going to be world breaking, change the world. But what it is going to do is going to add more knowledge yeah. to a particular area of mental health science. And so what we do at the end, they get their PhD. And most of them, I'm happy to say, have stayed on in academia and have got research posts. Because one of the things that's really important is training new researchers. Mm. So as well as the project itself, what we're doing is we're training a cadre of, of new young mm. mental health researchers. Mm. And we always ask their supervisor to tell us at the end, we've got a sort of form we send them, what impact the research has had. And it's actually, we haven't put them on the website yet, but I am intending to do that. And one can see what contribution they've had and it might be only a small contribution but it is a contribution that's being built on mm -hmm. because it isn't the student that applies to us for the funding it's the university department right. so the university departments have programs of work mm -hmm. on mental illness and that's what we're contributing to their program of I work right. which will then take forward findings that come out of the students work 
Great. Now, I've noticed on your website, you've got a page about PhD funding and asking the question, are you a researcher looking for funding? Do you want to talk us through that process in case anyone listening be in that position? Yes. So on the page, we say what the scholarships are for this year. And if you look on the page, you'll see it says PhD competition. And then it says, and this year we're going to award two scholarships. One is new approaches to treating schizophrenia. And the other one is the impact of COVID-19 on understanding mental health, race and intersectionality, because we know about differential impact of, of COVID on different groups. So if a university is interested in one of those areas, what they would do is they would, we've got guidelines on the website and we've got an application form on the website and the closing date is 14th of May. So what they're asked to do is to complete the application form and send it in to us by the deadline. And typically we will have 15 to 20 applications per scholarship. Right. We then have a peer review process. We have an awards panel, which is chaired by Sir Mike Owen, who is Professor of Psychiatry at Cardiff. So the awards panel makes a shortlist out of the applications. The shortlisted ones get sent out for peer review and then come back to the awards panel. And then we decide which university we're going to support. It's a very straightforward. The form is only four pages and it's a structured form. It's pretty straightforward to complete. Mm. We try to make it as easy as possible for people to complete. And then with your experience yourself as a researcher, do you get involved with the PhD from a support point of view or is it purely about funding them and sending them on their way? Every year we do something called Scholars Day. That's a day when all the PhD students are invited and our past students as well are invited to come. But the current students, they each make a 10 minute presentation of their research project and how they're getting on with it. Their supervisors come. Some of our fundraisers come, supporters come, all the trustees are there. And of course, we were terribly lucky. We did it in February of last year, just before lockdown. Yeah. And we had an amazing day in Cardiff. And it was, it was so inspiring because these, these young people, they are so bright and it's really inspiring. And then so they get to know each other and can be a bit of a mutual support group. Mm-hmm. Other than that, they are always open to, if they want to contact us. I mean, one of our current students contacted me last week. She's coming to the end of her PhD and she wanted some careers advice. So I was able to put her in touch with some people who I thought could help her with what she wants to do in the future. So we are involved. We remain involved with them. And... They always receive our newsletters, even the ones that are finished. They stay on our mailing list and so on and so forth. And some of them then go on to raise some money for us by doing things like running marathons or whatever they mm-hmm. want to do. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to kind of build a community of young researchers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just looking at, you, at your website now and looking at the completed PhDs, I think actually Keds and I would probably be quite interested in interviewing them on maybe this podcast if it, Ooh, was, yeah. If yeah. it was something that you wanted to consider introducing us to them because there are some really interesting uh, different um, goals yeah. in there if you let me know which ones you'd be interested in I'll contact them great and ask them and some of our current 
look at some of the current ones who are nearing the end of their PhD. Mm. Some of them have got really interesting projects. Yeah, brilliant. I was going to ask a question, but you answered it a little bit in, in your last bit about what you love about the work that you do, because you obviously, you know, when you go to that event and you meet all those really bright young individuals and it sounds like you've got a real community there, you're keeping in touch with them going forward. But what is it that you love? And also, what's been quite surprising? Has there been any surprises about some of the research that the students have done that, that you've come across and you've been like, wow? I think some of the range of the research has quite surprised me. The other thing that surprised me is the sophistication of some of the kind of analytics that are being used and, I mean, very, very clever stuff and, and developing new ways of analysis and all that kind of thing, which I'm really impressed by. And, you know, when we've got projects doing things like virtual reality and looking at that, I mean, that's really exciting. Mm. And I suppose the other thing looking back on it that surprised me was it was so hard when we started. There were many times when we almost gave up because it just seemed nobody was interested in it at all. But looking back on the 10 years, I feel very proud of what we've done. 27 scholarships. And if you think that each one costs £100,000, that's from nothing. Mm. And the other thing which I'm very proud of is that we don't have any employees, we don't have any buildings. 95% or more than 95% of everything that we're given goes to the research. We have no overheads at all. We send running shirts to people with our logo on, you know, and a few travel expenses, but that's all we spend money on. And we've got these wonderful volunteers, our honorary administrator who lives in Cheltenham, David, who's a retired surveyor, he works for us pro bono and runs the whole admin side and he's recruited other people to help with the website with the accounts and so on so we're entirely volunteer run and i'm very proud of that because mm. some charities have very big fundraising departments mm. and they're spending an awful lot of money on on the raising of the funds what's your take on the covid situation you know, are we doing enough? Is there enough support out there? What kind of things are you yeah. looking at this situation now and thinking? Well, I think the really positive thing is that even before COVID, thanks mainly to the Royals, we were discussing mental health much more. Yeah. And mental illness had come out of the closet. And it was something that people felt able to talk about. When I was a young woman, I had postnatal depression. And that depression has recurred over the years at various times. But I did not feel able to tell any of my employers about it mm. because I'm an old woman now. But, you know, my generation, I think when I went to Nottingham University, I think there were about four other women professors. It was a different world. Yeah. But it's kind of that, plus having children. And if I'd also said, oh, and by the way, there will be times when I really feel very down and everything, mm. that would probably be the end of my career. I just mm. couldn't. Mm. And at least now people are talking more about it. And one of the positives of COVID also is that the realisation of the impact of isolation yeah. because of people having to self-isolate 
and the impact that there's going to be on staff. They have had to work so hard, so psychologically traumatic, Mm. what they've seen and what they've experienced. So all of that, I think, has, again, made people think more about the importance of mental health as well as physical health and that the two go together. You know, there are some positives coming out, although it's been a very terrible time. Mm. Yeah. I think it's been surprising that even before, when we've had guests on and, and been talking about particularly around certain times, you know, when you were saying when you were younger and talking about it, it, it just would have ruined your career. Or and we've had a few people more recently talk about getting help from the businesses that they work from and still that being such a big stigma and a really hard thing for people yeah. to do. But also I think you're right with COVID that for some people who have mental health issues, COVID's been a good thing if you suffer from anxiety or, yeah. or things like that. Not be, having that taken away from you, but then also it's impacted on people who maybe have never had mental health problems. Mm. And, you know, the worry and the anxiety, especially what the media kind of puts out there is, is created new. But still that it's taken so long because when I first started working or training to be a counsellor and even started working at Mind, still people were talking about mental health, but nothing was being done about it. So it's good to see that there's still a little bit of a shift, but still that there is funding needed for it. So things are moving in the right direction, but I still think there's a lot of work to do. Yeah, yeah, there is. I mean, there's there's a huge amount of work to do. Yeah, I, feel, I mean, if there was if there was more research money available, there, there there are just huge areas where that money could go. So so yes, we've just got to kind of keep going, keep stressing the importance of research because if we don't have the research, mm. we won't develop new treatments and all the rest of it. So. Mm that's very important now so there's a couple of campaigns that you've got coming up at the moment so there's tell us a little bit more about those two and and how they kind of fit in with things that are yes, going on well one of the things that we particularly want to raise money for this year is is our COVID-19 scholarship because we were very keen to do something which looked at the mental health impact of COVID-19 but also we know about how COVID-19 has affected different groups in different ways and also relating to Black Lives Matter, the kind of, you know, thinking that in the context of, of COVID and, and, and so on. So that's one of the things that we are keen to specifically focus on raising money for this year. We've raised over 30,000 so far for the 100, which it'll cost. So that's one of our big things. And then the other thing that we're going to do on World Mental Health Day, which isn't till October, Mm. is we used to do something called Blooming Monday, which is to do with last uh, Monday of January, apparently being the most depressing day of the year. But we've decided not to do that any longer. But what we want to do is we're doing something called Brighten Up on World Mental Health Day. And the idea is to get people to go to work or, or by October, wherever they're going, able to go, wearing colourful clothes and to get people talking about mental health. That's what we want. To, so that's going to be mm. our sort of contribution and to to get people to post what they're doing on Facebook and so on. And we'll put things on our website and tweeting about it and so on and so forth. But that's 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 a way away. So the most immediate one is is just the raising 
money for the COVID scholarship, which we're you know, really keen to, to get on with, because the scholarship doesn't act, won't actually start until 2022. So there is time for us to, to raise the rest of the money. Those are our two campaigns at the moment. So if somebody wanted to ra- help raise money for that particular campaign, how, how yeah. could they go about it? Well, if they go onto the website, there's mm-hmm. all about it under Get Involved. And it's all their current campaigns. And there's a sort of button that you, you click on for the, for the COVID campaign. And then we, we can link all of that, Claire, in our show notes so people can go straight to yeah. that campaign. So okay, that's you. great. Yes, <laughs> so I get all that sorted. And also, yeah. I was just I was reading up about because obviously I work for North Staff's Mind, and we always do something for World Mental Health Day. And I was just reading reading up about what you got planned. I'm sure Liz and I can have a rummage for our wardrobes and <laughs> and pick out the most colourful things we can yeah. to wear on that day. How yeah. about it, Liz? Yeah, we will. We we'll need an excuse yeah. to get colourful in October. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, do our be, hair. That would be great. Oh yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> be great. <laughs> Tell me when when you look back over your your career and you were you were so in, ingrained it was the cancer research. You know this is kind of a bit of a lucky accident in some ways that you've gone on this different path and and look at the result. It's incredible. Do you, how do you feel about that? Well, I'm really pleased it happened because it's no doubt it's the thing I'm most proud of. Yeah, and it was just such a well, it was serendipity really. It just happened. And so I just feel immensely fortunate that that happened and I was able to, there was the opportunity to, to start the charity and to do it. Yeah. yeah. And are you still, like now you're retired, but are you still, you know, once an academic, always an academic? Are you still researching yourself or are you running the charity? I'm still a trustee. I, I, I was chair of trustees until last, until February, until last month. I was, I was chair for 10 years and I decided that 10 years as chair was enough. So I handed over to Sir Mike Owen, but I'm still a trustee and I'm still a volunteer. So I, I help with the admin and I'm organizing our virtual scholars day at the moment. So I do all that. And in my spare time, I'm a poet. Oh, <laughs> I just seemed... we didn't know that. We'd have asked you to recite a poem for us. Yeah. Short one. <laughs> Great. What kind of poetry do you like yeah. to write? Well, some of it is quite dark, but not all of it. And I've had quite a lot published, actually. And my first collection, my first book is going to be published this year. Oh, wow. So all the proceeds, of course, go to MHR UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah, keep us informed of that. We have a yeah, Facebook group. I don't know if you if you go on the Facebook group, but we can share the Happiness Hub podcast has a, has a group that's pretty active with people that are interested in what we're talking about so we can certainly share it on that Brilliant. yeah Claire, if Lovely. you have a small poem that you could send send to us if you wanted to we could pop it in the um the show notes and yeah okay. give it out when you're published I'll, and we can... I'll, I'll send you a i'm gonna send you a happy poem oh, oh, good I'll, yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll send you a happy poem right <laughs> Well, that leads quite nicely into our next question because what we always ask our guests is what makes them happy and also any advice that you've got for our listeners that they can do for better mental health so first question then Claire what makes you happy well my children and my grandchildren there's no no doubt about that I've got two grandsons 13 and 12 and my two lovely children and you know I have missed them so much during this time 
but we have Zooms and FaceTime calls and that sort of thing. And I'm just so looking forward to being able to actually see them again. So they give me a huge amount of happiness. And I'm very interested in the arts. So you know, I'm interested in you know, music and opera and all those sorts of things. So being able to go with friends, you know, sometimes to see it at the cinema, sometimes actually going to ballet. And, and I think those sorts of things are very good for my, for my mental health, as mm. is the writing actually is very good for my mental health. It just takes me out of myself. And just having friends and my partner and that sort of thing is, is just so important. I found dabbling in mindfulness has been very helpful, actually. I think there's a lot, a lot there. And I think you know, one's aware of aches and pains and this and that, physical health. But how aware is off one often of one's mental health with unless mm. one actually makes a point of, well, kind of checking in with oneself that one is okay. Yeah, creeps up on you, doesn't it? And you kind of don't realise that things it are... Does. It does. It can be quite insidious, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. I always feel like if I've ever been through a bad patch of my mental health, when I get out the other side, I always look back and think, I didn't realise... I'm a sort of person who just closes myself off. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to make other people be feeling down because I'm feeling down. And then when you come out of it, you're like, gosh. And one of the first things that always goes with me is my sense of humour. And I know that's when I'm not having a good time. If I can't crack yeah. a joke during the day or make a silly uh, innuendo or something like that, then I'm like, yeah. oh, heck. And maybe I'm, I need to yeah. check my mental health. I totally empathise with that. I think one has so little insight if one's starting to go on a bit of a downward path, it's so gradual, you don't notice. No. But if you, can, if you can identify something like, as you say, you lose your sense of humour and say, hang on a minute, where's my sense of humour gone? And, mm. and you can then actually start to, to think about doing something about it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of our podcasts with our guests recently, particularly because we've spoken to people from like Samaritans and children's charities as well, um, support lines, as you said, there's still a lot of research to be done in that. A lot of them have been talking about they're not there for people when, well, they are there for people when they're in crisis, when they are feeling suicidal, but also they're there for people before they get there. Mm. And that's been a misconception when people think I can't call Samaritans because I don't feel suicidal. But no, if you're a wobbling and your mental health is not great, yeah. then you've got to speak to somebody because sometimes it will help you stop getting to that point. Yeah. Really yeah. important. Yeah, mm. it is. Great. Well, I think it's been really interesting talking yeah. to you. And yeah, thank you very much for joining us all the way from Cheltenham, which mm. let's face it, if we were in COVID, we probably wouldn't have thought of getting you on Zoom. So uh, thank you very much oh. indeed. And best of luck with all your fundraising. Like Ked said, we'll put all, we'll cram as much as we can in our show notes. And we'll certainly chat to you offline about some of your past PhD students and see if we Great. can get yes. Well. yes. Well, thank you so much. I've so much enjoyed talking to you and it's, it's nice to be able to actually tell somebody about the charity and where it came from. Thank you. Thank you very much. 